Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. The opportunity for us is to capture value outside of the toy aisles. Hi, I'm Michael Casson. Welcome to Good Company, where I'll explore how marketing, media, entertainment, and tech are intersecting, transforming our lives and the way we do business at a breakneck speed. I'll be joined by some of the greatest business minds and strongest leaders who will share how they've built companies from the ground up or transformed them from the inside out. My bet is you'll pick up a lesson or two along the way. It's all good. It is truly a pleasure for me to welcome Enon Christ to Good Company. For our listeners, I want you to know, not only do I consider Enon an amazing colleague and someone I've done business with now for plus or minus 10 years, but I consider Enon to be like a brother. And I don't say that lightly, and I mean that sincerely. But one thing I'm going to let our listeners know, when we do get back to a world where you can hug one another, just be careful when Enon hugs you, because he's so damn strong, I usually need to wear a brace because I break two ribs when he gives me a bear hug. He's a good hugger. But he's a great friend and an extraordinary executive. Inan, welcome. Hi, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. Great to talk here. Inan, we're at such an interesting time in the world. And I was chatting with one of your guys earlier today, actually, about the extraordinary success that Mattel has enjoyed recently in the marketplace. And as I said to him, I'll say to you, it harkens back to an old story of an actor. The actor was Dustin Hoffman, and Dustin Hoffman starred in a movie called The Graduate back in the late 60s. And everyone said, oh, my God, he's an overnight success. Well, when you found out that he was playing Benjamin Braddock, an 18-year-old, he was actually in his early 30s already. And he laughed when they said, you're an overnight success. He said, I've been doing summer stock for 15 years. This was not an overnight success. You know, you have been at the helm of Mattel for three plus years now, and you that's the equivalent of summer stock. That's the equivalent of taking the show on the road. And the results in the marketplace in 2020 and rolling into 2021 demonstrate the results of that. I mean, sure, toy purchases were up dramatically during the pandemic, but my God, you got a couple of success stories with brands that are part of our life we grew up with. And you do have experience in the music business. But if you were to talk about a music story, you sometimes speak of the soundtrack of your life. When you speak of Mattel, it is your life. How have you managed that? That's right. Well, it happens that this week I did celebrate my third anniversary. And it's just been an incredible ride with an incredible company and an incredible uh, team of amazing people. In the last quarter that we just announced last week, we've achieved the highest growth the company has seen in any quarter, uh, going back more than 25 years, a record quarter, 47% growth. And this this follows two other quarters, the, the last two quarters of last year. So that was the third quarter where we achieved double digit growth for the company and where we continue to grow market share. And what was so unique about the first quarter of 2021 is that we saw double-digit growth in every region, in each of the seven categories where we operate, 
and high double-digit growth, uh, strong double-digit growth in each of our power brands, Barbie, Hot Wheels, and Fisher Price, as well as American Girl. So record quarter by many measures. And as you said, took us a bit of time to get here, but this is really a product and a result of a lot of changes, a lot of heavy lifting and transformation of the company and put it on a real growth uh, trajectory that we're very excited by now. Well, what's interesting, Inan, and you said that a lot of the early work you did was focusing not without view towards the revenue, but it was a view towards the transformation from a cost perspective and, and the manufacturing process. And so much of what you touched, you had to lay the pipe and then the revenue growth really became meaningful because you had addressed the cost side in an aggressive way, but in a thoughtful way. You know, anybody can come in with a knife and slash. You didn't do that. You came in with a a magnifying glass and you found the opportunities to do precision, precision approach to that transformation, whether it was around the manufacturing process or things like that, which isn't the exciting part of the business, but it's what makes a business run, right? I mean, it's not the glory side, it's the sausage making. That's right. The, the biggest transformation was turning the company from being a toy manufacturing company into being an IP company. And the strategy was to become a, a high-performing toy company that is IP-driven. And as you said, first and foremost, we had to really adjust the way we operate reduce our cost base, simplify the business, address our supply chain. And over the last three years, we reduced our cost base by over a billion dollars and reduced our workforce by 35%. And by doing that, other than the cost reduction, just reorganizing, restructuring the company, we brought Mattel to you know, what we think today is it's the strongest position it's been in many years in terms of the way it's organized and set operationally. And we, as an aside, just announced another program to reduce $250 million more on top of what we already did by 2023. But we're not done with uh, optimizing and improving the way the company operates. The shift was where in the beginning it was about simplifying the business. This is now about driving productivity going forward. And as you said, in the course of doing that, we were able to drive growth in the top lines. Absolutely. You know, on your background, you know, certainly those who didn't know you or didn't really understand your background looked at your choice. You were on the board originally at Mattel and then were tapped to become CEO three years ago. Again, happy anniversary. But you did have a strong background. I mean, Fox Kids, Endemol, and where we got to partner, and let me publicly say thank you for that opportunity for all the right reasons. Maker Studios, one of the great success stories in the multi-channel network and creator networks. But Fox, Endemol, largest programmer in the world when you were running it, it certainly set you up for this, but the toy business is unique. It's different. How did you feel you were prepared for this, and what was your learning curve like? Well, I, I know the company had and still has incredible assets within, you know, the toy side of the business. And I knew that if we, if we just run the company well, just turn the company into being high performing on the toy side, there is 
tremendous value we can capture. And we're now starting to see that coming through and value being unlocked from the toy side of the company. Where the opportunity can be transformative is in capturing full value from our intellectual properties. And this is really what I saw when I took the, the job in that we own one of the strongest portfolios of children and family entertainment franchises in the world. And the opportunity for us is to capture value outside of the toy aisles in highly accretive business verticals that in some cases are actually bigger than the toy industry, all driven by big brands, big franchises, big IP, whether it's film, television, music, live events, consumer product and merchandise, and of course, digital games, all of which driven by big brands. We have an opportunity to leverage the huge fan base our brands have and the uh, legacy and, and heritage that we carry with our portfolio. And that is the opportunity with, that we're now pursuing. Just think about you know, the latest space that is getting hotter and hotter, the NFT area. Um, when we approach opportunities like that, given the, the appeal, the collectability factor of our brands, and the fact that they have so much cultural impact, we have a huge opportunity to, to capture value outside of the toy aisles. And that's a combination of both that makes it so exciting. Absolutely. And let's talk about that because you understood the franchise business. You did come from the entertainment side and you do have that experience and you understand that franchise capability and you own the IP of, as you said, some of the most talked about influential part of the cultural zeitgeist of the world brands, full stop. But they were never really applied to other areas with the kind of fervor that you're doing. I mean, I think there's some number that's like 35 different TV opportunities in development and so many film opportunities that are actually now coming to fruition that you've been spearheading. You became truly not Barbie, but you became the prettiest person in town because the studios realized when they're searching for that IP, all they had to do was take a ride on the 405 down to El Segundo and some of the most valuable IP in the world was right there. And it wasn't being, you know, developed in the right way. You turn that around. I'd love to talk about that, including what you just announced with uh, Rock'em Sock'em Robots. In addition to the 35 television programs, I think you've got somewhere near a dozen movie projects that are in some stage of development at this point. That's right. So Rock'em Sock'em Robot is a new project that we are producing with Vin Diesel. He will be starring the movie uh, with Universal. It will be an action-packed project. What is interesting is that we are seeing how Mattel Films is becoming a magnet for top talent. Some of the biggest talent of our generation, from uh, Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, who are writing the Barbie movie with Margot Robbie to play in it, to Tom Hanks, who is working with us on Major Matt Mason, and many others, creative writers, producers, directors, that uh, represent the biggest stars of the industry today. And what is interesting is that, like us, they also see the potential and opportunity to engage people all over the world with our brand and our IP. And you know the value of franchise management, Michael, more than anyone. And in the case of having a strong brand that people know that has global appeal with cultural impact and societal importance is really hard to create. And no matter who you are, if you start from scratch, 
it's hard to build brands uh, from the ground up. In our case, we bring to the table franchises and brands that have been around for generations with huge appeal that are still as important and as vibrant and as active as they've been, and in some cases, even more so in the case of you know product like Barbie, Hot Wheels, American Girl, Masters of the Universe, and so forth. So a lot, a lot to play with. So, you know, did I miss the casting call to play Ken? Michael, I called you personally. I, just I was ready. We'll have to keep you for another movie, but we have plenty in the pipeline. Don't worry. I was this telling is. you, maybe I could play Ken's grandfather. But seriously, Barbie, let's talk about Barbie for a second. 63 years old, am I right? Barbie, just 1062. Let's take that and make Barbie a real-life person, which actually she was. My recollection is Barbie was named after Barbara Hennessey, daughter of the founders of Mattel. So she was a real person. Somehow Barbie has been able to keep her relevance and, you know, obviously enjoyed some of the greatest revenue numbers in the history of Barbie in this recent round. Keeping Barbie fresh, as you did when you had the different Barbies introduced that reflected more of society in both in shape and size and and ethnicity. And there was a diverse and inclusive Barbie movement for many years, well before it was the focus for all of us, and rightfully so. How do you keep Barbie fresh at 62 years old? Well, Barbie is nothing short of a phenomenal story. Last quarter, Barbie grew by 86%. And we saw increase in every product segment in the entire line. Barbie was the uh, number one global toy, global doll property across the world and continued to gain market share in all four regions in the first quarter. We're still very confident about Barbie's growth in 2021. And this brand, you know, when it comes to Barbie, the question is how high is high? You know, the story of Barbie, as much as it is about so much innovation in the different product offering, Barbie is really much about culture. Barbie has real societal impact. Barbie is not just a toy, and it's, of course, not just a doll. It's a concept. And with the brand purpose of Barbie around diversity, inclusivity, representing the world as kids see it, and really speaking and representing so many important social messages, that are authentic uh, is really what turned Barbie into what it is today. And the emphasis on being authentic is really key. This is not a marketing angle. You know, this is not uh, something we do just to make the brand popular. It is part of the DNA of Barbie, except that now we're putting more emphasis on it. And it's particularly important for Mattel as a purpose-driven company. And the interesting thing, and I'll extend it beyond Barbie, is that Barbie represents the whole of Mattel. Barbie is ahead of the game. But what you see with Barbie, the same approach, the same methodology, the same strategy, and often the same people that are behind Barbie's success is how we approach the rest of the portfolio with the same people, with the same strategy, with the same approach of the Mattel playbook, emphasizing brand purpose, cultural relevance, design-led innovation, and executional excellence. Which is why you see so much growth and performance across the entire portfolio, really with Barbie leading the way. You anticipated my next question brilliantly. Brands today, companies, corporations speak about purpose-driven marketing, but they talk about it in how they're marketing, not necessarily the purpose of the brand. 
And you use two words interchangeably, authenticity and brand purpose. That's a marketing, as you said, that's a marketing challenge. But yours is around the brand itself. Not the brand Mattel, yes, but the brand Barbie, the brand Hot Wheels, the brand American Girl. They have to have a purpose. They're not just a toy. I mean, there's nothing wrong with just being a toy, but there's a purpose. That's right. So, you know, we defined and really put out in front of us the company's purpose, Mattel's purpose, which is to empower the next generation to explore the wonder of childhood and reach the full potential. And in order to do that, we also were very deliberate and clear about our mission. You know, what is that we are here to do? which is to create innovative products and experiences that inspire, entertain, and develop children through play. And with that, we took the Mattel playbook and we realized that what we, what we make, what we sell, is more than a toy, is more than a play system. Toys is, is a product that has very strong emotional connection with the consumer and real impact, as you said in the beginning. We all grew up very often with Mattel toys, Toys is something that the child hugs, goes to bed with, thinks about, and uses as a source of inspiration. And this is really important when you understand your position in society. The responsibility. It's, it's a position, but it's a very big responsibility. Absolute responsibility. So we take our role as a, as a corporate citizen very seriously. And, you know, when you look at each of our brands, take just a few examples, you know, with Barbie being about inspiring the limitless potential in every girl. Uh, American Girl, another legacy brand, one of the most cherished brands in our portfolio and also in the industry, is about helping girls grow with confidence and develop characters, develop strong characters. Fisher-Price is about being the most trusted brand for parents to inspire and develop children through play. Hot Wheels is about igniting and nurturing the challenger spirit that lives in every kid. Each of our brands have a reason to be and represent more than a system of play. And this is part of our DNA, is how we think about product development, how we communicate with the consumers. And this is a key reason why our product today is resonating with parents at levels we have not seen in many, many years. Parents and families, and of course, consumers, the children. And a lot of it is, of course, the quality of the product, the strength of the brand, but a big part of it really is, is about the purpose and, and how we position and engage with consumers at a level above and beyond the, the play system. And Inan, let's switch to something that is equally important on the agenda of everybody and should be on high on the agenda of every corporation, which is sustainability. Being able to do well at the same time as you're doing good whether that's corporate social responsibility, Mattel's always been a leader in that from things that I can think of, whether it was breast cancer and other things that Mattel has always had a leadership position in over the years. The sustainability in the, in the manufacturing process and all of that, that continues to have a high priority on your corporate hit list. Can you talk a bit about that? Because I think it's both inspiring and important. Environmental sustainability is a key priority for the company as part of uh, being a responsible corporate citizen. Uh, last year, we announced our goal to achieve 100% recycled, recyclable or bio-based plastic materials in all of our product and packaging by 2030. 
already announced a product from uh, Fisher Price, Mega, and Uno, and just recently announced a new plan for Matchbox with a product roadmap to make all the diecast cars, playsets, and packaging with 100% recyclable or bio-based plastic by 2030 in line with the corporate goals. The Matchbox Tesla Roadster is the first diecast car vehicle made from 99% recycled materials and certified carbon neutral material available already in 2022. So uh, we are making uh, a lot of progress in that important area with great product. This is really how you stay relevant, have cultural impact, and really carry the message of, the, of, of our company through product and through engagement with consumers. Inan, let's talk about something that is central to so many people's business life today. The future of how we're going to work, where we're going to work, what we're going to do. What is the plan for Mattel in terms of physicality, you know, back in the office in the U.S. as well as around the world? Yeah, so we obviously prioritize above everything else the health and safety of our people. And we've done that throughout the pandemic. We pivoted to remote work uh, right at the beginning and been working remotely and achieving these you know, incredible results while being away from the office all over the world. We're now expecting a, a phase return to the office starting June. And we will obviously monitor market developments, vaccination, following all of the uh, protocols by the relevant jurisdiction in each country and each city. That said, we did learn a lot from um, how we can work uh, remotely and how do we leverage technologies, especially video calling and other facilities to uh, stay productive and uh, become more efficient, often reduce costs without compromising on the quality of the work. Maybe getting better work. We don't know yet. It's exactly. hard, you know, it, it's the old joke. People have asked me forever, Michael, do you do your best work under pressure? I always answer by saying yes, but I put a postscript on that and I say, but then again, how would I know? I've never done it any other way. I was not somebody who studied weeks in advance for an exam. I probably studied hours in advance, but if I got an A, I got an A. So maybe I would have gotten an A plus. I don't know. Or maybe if I studied, I would have gotten a C. You never know. But it's interesting because the results, you at least have the quarterly gauge of our results are good. Therefore, we didn't suffer from working in a different format. How do you think that will impact the recruiting of people? You know, if somebody's going to work at Mattel in Southern California, they got to live in Southern California. Do you see that changing? You know, we're all learning as we go. Clearly, there's going to be a lot of flexibility in how we run the company. We did see that creating a, an organization that is dynamic, that can respond to changes and different uh, conditions was really key in how we were able to face the, the pandemic in, in a, such an effective way. We had to transition very quickly to um, online retail and e-commerce to compensate for the uh, challenges we had in retail. At some point, a third, about 30% of the stores that sell our product representing a third of our business were closed. You know, 160,000 doors were closed globally out of the more than 470,000 doors that's where we sell our product. Uh, so you had to respond to that and do that in mid-flight while you continue to compete and aim to grow the business. 
given all the work that we've done in becoming a flexible and result-oriented organization, definitely worked in our favor. And going forward, we'll have to um, adjust and remain productive, remain flexible, and embrace technology in order to uh, optimize changes in work habits. I want to give you a compliment that is well-earned and well-deserved. Historically, I've spoken of this generation one of the great CEOs in the world has been Satya Nadella at Microsoft. Satya Nadella did one of the greatest jobs I've ever seen of performing while transforming. Microsoft is a different company today under his tutelage and his leadership, but they performed brilliantly. Just look at their earnings yesterday and look at their share price over the years that Satya has been at the helm. And I look at Mattel similarly, you performed brilliantly while you transformed the company. You talked about changing in midair. The other expression used to be, how do you change the tires while the car is moving? I like the idea of perform while you're transforming. You did it and you did it brilliantly because here we are, Mattel is a different company than it was three years ago, for sure. Thank you. You know, this was an incredible team effort. And I really mean by saying that we just have such talent in every part of the organization. And many of the changes that we've done were really, you know, driven and owned by our people on the ground. There's no other way to achieve that without really recruiting and having the entire organization to be behind the mission and the purpose of the company and, and really work so hard to meet our goals and follow the strategy. Well, I'd add something to that, Inan, again, as a compliment. Not everybody can figure out how to get the best out of people. You have a unique talent to get the best out of people because you didn't change every senior leader. You kept a lot of the senior leaders. You didn't need to change the player. You needed to get the best out of that player. And you've done that countless times. Well, thank you. You know, I'm really proud of the work that Tim did. We're now entering a growth phase. We expect to grow this year. We just upgraded our guidance for 2021. We have a goal to grow and expect to grow in 2022 and 2023. This is something we said already at the start of the year. And I'm very excited to see how Mattel achieves both operational efficiency and being a productive enterprise. And at the same time, grows and thrives uh, and continue to increase market share. And all of that is before you even get to our mid to long-term strategy, which is about franchise management, direct to consumer, and as a whole, uh, capture the full value from our intellectual properties. And uh, one of the unique and resilient part of our strategy is that many of the things that we are doing are actually obvious. Cutting costs is obvious. Becoming, reducing your leverage ratio, uh, making your way towards investment grade, you know, in three years, we brought our leverage ratio from 25 to just most recently in the last quarter to 3.3. Amazing. Uh, generating cash, the, the business completely transformed. But it is about this consistent execution and staying focused on the goals that we have. Well, you know, I, I want to thank you for spending this time. I know our audience is going to feel that hug that I talked about at the beginning, the warmth and the intellect that you bring to this conversation. Thank you, Michael. Always great pleasure to talk to you. I'm Michael Kasson. Thanks for listening to Good Company. 
Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. A special thanks to Lena Peterson, Chief Brand Officer and Managing Director of MediaLink, for her vision on Good Company. And to Jen Seeley, Vice President, Marketing Communications of MediaLink, for programming amazing talent and content. Good Company is edited by Jessica Kreinchich. 